Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Extra Rounds podcast coming to you every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, 12 Pacific, right here on the Sports Illustrated MMA Facebook page. As always, my name is Mike Dice. I'm Elias. And we are here to talk to you about all things MMA. First of all, how was your weekend? Good. It was nice. How about yours? It was good. There was, uh, you know, no big UFC fight this weekend, but it was still a busy weekend in yeah. fighting. There was uh, Titan FC 44. There was uh, Bellator 179. Uh, yeah. There was an Invicta fight. Uh, first off, congratulations to Jose Shorty Torres, a Chicago native. We are uh, we shoot this show in Chicago, so we are based out of Chicago for winning the bantamweight title at Titan FC 44. That is his second title and a second weight class he's was already the flyweight champion going into this fight that gives him two belts and he's looking for uh, a contract with the ufc next we have an interview with him coming to fanside.com um later he talks with uh, our mike heck so did you watch that fight do you I think did. do you think it's time that uh the ufc reaches out i mean i would if i were them i said this last week uh mike if i were them i would do it now try to get him before he can demand even more money because he's definitely ufc uh, caliber and he has a lot of experience because of an extensive amateur career much more extensive than most mma fighters at this point it's not to the point where most pros uh, go pro after a long uh, amateur career as is often the case with elite boxers not always but often the case so yeah i think i think he's ready if i were the ufc i would certainly look to to book him soon he's he's doing as well as he can on the biggest stage that he can short of the ufc right now yeah uh i mean that's basically a good summation the big you know strike against him if there even is one is the uh his five professional fights he's five and oh only five professional fights but he's what 25 and one or something as an amateur yeah, right so, right definitely definitely time for him to uh get a stronger look uh from the ufc uh it's still early it's been less than a week since his fight so it could come you know yeah, you never know. Let's not say that it's not coming yet. <laughs> but uh, there's so much to talk about this week. Uh, basically, since the last time we met, there's so much that's happened in the show. It's almost impossible to try and narrow it all down to discuss in the show. But uh, we want to first let you know that at 30 minutes after, about 25 minutes from now, Anna Hulatin is going to be calling in. She's a world champion boxer who's making the transition to MMA. She trains out of Las Vegas with notable UFC fighters like Frank Mir. Um, so she's going to be calling in to talk about her MMA transition then um, so make sure to stay tuned for that but first let's get into the news the big thing that happened over the weekend at least in the UFC mm -hmm. was this athletes retreat uh, you know first they had this getaway with the UFC fighters they all went to the resort in Las Vegas and they got to meet with the new owners from WME they got to learn various skills and kind of workshops lessons section uh, lecture sessions <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, brands were present to offer their perspective on sponsorship. Uh, Kobe Bryant was there to talk about life after professional sports. Uh, Brandon Marshall gave um, a talk as well. There's just a lot going on for the fighters. And it's kind of something that's never necessarily been done before. And all in all, on the surface, it looked like a brilliant idea. Mm. You know, working with these athletes, getting all these athletes together, having this open dialogue. But there were incidents. Chris Cyborg punches another fighter. 
another fighter confronts a Reebok executive. Supposedly a Budweiser executive was allegedly drunk at 10 in the morning when on stage speaking to fighters. He was um, allegedly drunk and definitely stupid if you listen to his remarks. <laughs> I spoke to about nine fighters for a story of Flow Combat coming out tomorrow about their experience in their retreat. It was definitely interesting. And then Ally Aquinta supposedly left and compared the UFC to a strip club. Also allegedly drunk. Even though yeah. I, I like Al a lot and I think his points are good, but supposedly he was pretty intoxicated after the first day as well. So I think we're all in agreement that it was a uh, – that it was a good idea, but was it a success? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing. One of the things I asked all the fighters, um, kind of spinning off of what I saw Al say, I think it was on the MMA Hour earlier this, early this week, yep. saying, hey, you know, instead of spending all this money on Snoop Dogg or Kobe or, what, you know, flying us all out and all this stuff, uh, I think they're at a Marriott, like, why not give that money back to the fighters? And so I asked fighters, I said, hey, you know, we asked them about their experience, what they liked, what they didn't like, uh, if they liked it, what were their favorite parts, uh, and also hey, would you have rather, instead of spending this money, they gave the money back to fighters or put it towards a fund maybe to provide year-round health care for fighters or something of that nature, which is something they don't have. They got a range of answers. A lot of the fighters said, uh, well, if I'm given the choice, of course, I'd rather have money. Others are saying, well, listen, it's, I get that sentiment. It's, you know, but if you, even, if you, even if they spent, let's say they spent a half a million dollars on this retreat, That'd be about $1,000, a little over $1,000 per fighter. I don't know. Maybe that's worth it. Maybe it's not. And other fighters like Mac Brown, who, who quoted in the story, says, you know, we could have both, actually. He's like, WME, IMG represents Kobe, represents Snoop Dogg. Probably didn't cost them a ton. We can have health care. This we is can, probably a favor. Yeah, we can get paid more, plus we could have money left over for other things. Uh, so, I, you know, I th- I've, I've talked to fighters. I, Joe Lozon sent me, for, after talking to him for the story, he sent me uh, 11 texts in a row, which represented – basically pages after pages after pages of, of notes uh, that he took from some of the speakers. A lot of these people that paid attention, went to the panels, really enjoyed some of the advice they got, and they didn't enjoy some of the other ones. Joe Lozon, for example, told, told us, he, hey, I really liked uh, one of the people from Shark Tank, gave some really good financial management advice. He said, I took a bunch of notes off of that. And then at the same time, Joe also, um, spinning off of Cajun Johnson's confrontation with the Reebok executive, um, the, the UFC called like, an, uh, like kind of an impromptu meeting to, like, to allow fighters to air grievances or go back and forth. I think Lawrence Epstein with legal counsel, I think, was there with them and, and some others, I'm told. And Joe Lozon, who, who really seemed to have a good time in the, in the retreat, so much so that he didn't mind it was his birthday weekend and he had to go away uh, and enjoyed some of the speakers a whole lot, still had, you know, was critical. And he said, as we talk about in the article, he talked about saying, hey, listen, with regards to Reebok payments, transparency would go a long way, guys. You're not doing a very good job at the UFC with being transparent to us as to how much we're getting paid and why. He, he broke down the math. He said it's a $72 million deal for, for six years, which is about uh, was that 72 months. So we're, you know, X, we're two years into it or however long we're into it. And he, I forget now exactly myself personally. Uh, it's in, it's in the, it'll be in the story. He says, you know what? The, the number, the reported payouts it has a huge gap between that and what should have been paid out because the UFC promised 100% of this money would go to the fighters, blah, blah, blah. So he said, you know, there's, he's a fighter that enjoyed it, but also was, was critical. And I think he appreciated the chance to get to talk uh, to the UFC and air some grievances, which wasn't structured into the original thing, right? Cajun Johnson didn't say what he said during a, a, a Q&A period, as far as I understand. He kind of blurted it out. Um, so I think... He stood up. I, he stood up and did it. So I think 
the UFC didn't seem to think of a lot of things uh, when putting it together, uh, but I think the fighters kind of forced their way into it and, and forced some of the best parts of it. Other fighters said, hey, they had a really good time hanging out with, uh, with, uh, with one another, with their teammates. They got to get some extra training in. So it, it, it depends. I've heard a lot that it was the best retreat that they've ever done because I've, I've lost track now of how many UFC fighter retreats the organization has done. I think this might be the first one of the new ownership. And they've said, hey, this is, this is the, the slickest, nicest, best one that they've ever done. Uh, most interesting, uh, for the most part, speakers. But yeah, there was, there was ups and downs. And I think there's a wide variation uh, from at least the fighters that I've talked to in terms of people saying, uh, I liked it, didn't like it. Mike, I had several uh, fighters. I'd say, I, th- I think I had three fighters. Who we have very good relationships with, talk to frequently. Some have even been on the show. Multiple have been on the show, actually, here. Um, who the, and they got right back to me when I asked them if they'd like to talk about it. And they got back to me saying, I've got nothing good to say, so I'd rather not say anything. So I think there's a really wide range. I've had another person get back to me like, oh, I really loved it. It was a good time. So it's an interesting thing. The Longo Sarah contingent looks like they had a blast uh, <laughs> following their pictures. They seem to really enjoy the bonding experience away. Except from for Ally <laughs> Except for him. Yeah, <laughs> right, but right. Yeah, Sterling Wideman, who seems to be in the middle of everything. But, <laughs> you know, like you said, there's so many good things that came out of it, and one of which was the, the talk. And they haven't ever had so much of a um, this opportunity as a group. Like, they're always individuals. Yeah. So they, yeah. as a group, they've never been able to have this conversation where it's like us – and you, it's always me and them, you yeah. know, which creates this unbalance. And that's, and that's intentional. There's a reason they set it up that way, I think, the UFC. Right. And, you know, and it's interesting. If you look at some of the comments that I think have been written about, um, Kobe Bryant was asked to talk about the value of the MAA Players Union to him. And he spoke, Leslie Smith. Yeah. yeah He's been a leader of the... Um, Absolutely. She got up and, and asked, and, and, and uh, he spoke at length about, you know, the real value uh, of this, which is, I'm sure is not something that... WMEIMG wanted to have him talk about. So I think good things happened. And like usual, when good things happen, it's because of, like the labor kind of pushed it and made it happen. It was I heard a- the food was good, though. So that was the UFC's credit. The food was awesome. I hear the new institute is really, really cool, although just, I don't know how they're going to uh, really accommodate everyone, even in Las Vegas, who's a UFC fighter, to use it as, as they're uh, supposed to be allowed to. But I heard that was really cool. Technolo- technologically, I heard the food was really rad. Yeah, it, it, look, it looks really cool from what I saw on that CNN tour that they had. But, you know, a great idea. You know, it was all in all with good intentions. And I think it should be hopefully something that becomes uh, valuable to the fighters if they continue to do it um, going forward. So definitely, definitely something interesting um, and a unique idea. And I think that the UFC is doing a lot of out-of-the-box kind of thinking with some of this stuff recently. Yeah, I mean, They've I think... Th- drummed up some of the themat like the theatrics for their press conferences true that is 100 Um, true and even the public relations department who i don't necessarily think it's a lot of credit uh gets credit or deserves credit for this for doing different things one of the biggest gripes that media had Mm -hmm. uh for fight weeks was the fact that uh, media day was on thursday Mm -hmm. and open workouts was on wednesday the point issue for the issue for media for those of you who don't know what i'm talking about is that uh, we get a bulk of quotes from that media day. And then those quotes essentially expire when the event happens. Yeah. And, you know, and not, for all intents and purposes, that's not till Saturday night when the fights start to happen. But, I mean, realistically, by Friday night, that's off. So you're getting one day of shelf life. Yeah. And then it becomes this rat race to try and transcribe all these interviews you get and write all these posts about all these fighters you talk to get them up so that they can, you know, have that one day, day and a half, two days mm-hmm. at most 
uh, of a shelf life. But by moving it to Wednesday, the media has more time to get that stuff mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. to no, everybody. It's a good move. And I think the difficulty for me is that they try to basically do PR on the fighters by shining shiny things in front of them and doing all sorts of stuff. Meanwhile, trying to obscure the fact that many fighters are upset. So that was the, that was the interesting part of it. Well, that's you're trying to shine on fighters. Kind of their their job is to put a positive spin always, or, but or but to I think, treat their workers well, one or the other or both. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's an interesting thing. But it works well for us. I'm happy when they do something like that because it makes my life easier. But I don't draw a paycheck from them. But some of the fighters just freaking loved it. They're like, the carnival was awesome. I don't care. And other fighters told me, like, yeah, I don't need a vacation. I could do that with my family. What the hell? Supposedly, they did pay for everyone to fly out yeah. there. Yeah, they, they did. did. as you met, alluded to, stay at a JW Marriott, That's which is the um, high-end Marriott hotels, I know, because my fiancé is all about Marriott. <laughs> uh, but let's let's move on to the next big talking point, or the big talking point, <laughs> which is Chris Cyborg punching, punching Angela um, Agana. She... Criminal charges are supposedly being pressed. Dana White called it very serious. Uh, Cage Pages got the video of the fight and released it. Uh, it. It wasn't much. It was probably exactly what you, everyone should have realistically expected it to be, was two people yelling at each other. Somebody gets frustrated and swings. It's not necessarily the best punch that's ever been thrown. Um, so the big talking point, though, is what happens to the cyborg going next? There's criminal charges and police and everything being involved. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know much about the local law there. I know she's been cited for battery, which, I, depending on where you are, that could be as, like a speeding ticket, you know. So I don't know that there'll be like a big trial. Um, I, you know, I'd be, I'll be very curious. The UFC will be in very, very shaky ground if they take action against her without taking action against Michael Chiesa and Kevin Lee, who got into a fight and, uh, you know, Kevin Lee punched and connected with my, uh, Michael Chiesa six weeks before their upcoming Oklahoma City fight and their main event. So I, I, think, I think and I hope nothing happens to Cyborg because that, would, that wouldn't be consistent. Uh, but it's a very interesting situation because Angela Magana is not backing down from, in my view, looking very, very strange, which is like make, calling out and making fun of Chris Cyborg as she helps cancer children, then, conf- then being confronted by her and getting hit and being completely fine and now like pressing charges it's a weird thing she's going for it so it could definitely make uh someone like chris cyborg's life a little more difficult i think she's i think she's a citizen now so i don't think she's she's in as difficult situation yeah okay as she would have been if she was here on some work visa or on a green card so she should be treated like any other american which just shouldn't be the hugest deal in the world but yeah it's kind of crazy right because you're like no you could get in trouble right by your employer if you get criminal charges against you but then on the other hand someone just did it last week and they're not in trouble so i don't know well that brings up the next point was is the ufc's response hypocritical you know you have uh conor mcgregor throwing monster cans in a crowded (laughs) theater you have uh john jones shoving schaller out of the way to create a brawl in the middle of the mgm lobby uh, you have Conor McGregor hoisting a steel chair over his head, WWE style, <laughs> getting ready to swing at Eddie Alvarez before yeah. Dana White finally was able to get him to drop it. Um, and then, like you and said, KSA and Lee. The, yeah. yeah, these are all UFC events. Yeah. And that's kind of the difference is th- those were all on stage, yeah. whereas this was outside of a UFC wor- event. But That's the question. What's worse? I think if you do violence like at a UFC like stage, the UFC is definitely more directly involved, wouldn't you say? Yes. Uh, yeah. The UFC is more involved and more responsible yeah, or liable that's, a, that's the question. happening yeah. on stage so but but it's just like you can't pick and choose when to profit from it and when to call it very serious it's either one or the other yeah. you know if they they would never book that fight and that's probably the 
actual difference <laughs> in what's creating thing. If, if, That's right. If she, Angela McGonagall was in a position where she had won or fought in the past couple of years, even um, to potentially fight Chris Cyborg, I mean, they'd be using this video in promotional they, reels, just like they do right the now, asking yeah. how much it costs to license that video. <laughs> if they asked. <laughs> <laughs> well, then um, we can get a call from the fan side. But lawyers, yeah, you have to, uh, you know, pick and choose when, or you can't pick and choose. I'm right. Sorry, That's a very good point. It's, it's, Either you you got to embrace it, which is like this WWE thing, and <laughs> yeah. it creates this drama and you know brings attention and is uh, free promotion. Mm-hmm. You know these viral videos of promotion. That video did like a million views in two days, and you know that's all promotion for UFC in a fight that will never happen. But <laughs> you know you got to you can't waffle. It's one or the other. You um, got to embrace it. Or I, do, I agree answer. with you. I agree now, with you. In Chris Cyborg's uh, response that she posted to Facebook, she talked specifically about bullying and how she's been bullied for her um, appearance online. If you follow MMA at all, you know that Chris Cyborg has been subjected to these kinds of uh, taunts, um, verbal assaults, um, unpleasantries for the entirety of her career. And she's normally not one to really address it. She seems really good at kind of ignoring and not feeding into it, but it doesn't prevent it from persisting. Um, so is bullying an issue in MMA and the UFC? Yeah, I think it is. And if you haven't already, like you guys take, take Mike's lead and read her statement. If you're looking to, to hear Chris Cyborg talk about the alleged punch in that statement, you, you won't, you won't find it there. Said she just decides to frame the issue of her anger, her being bullied by Angela Magana on online in, in a larger, in a larger context and say, Hey, <laughs> This is this is nothing. Dana White has said worse things to me more repeatedly. Who runs the promotion? Who is my boss? Than Angela Magana does. Uh, Ronda Rousey has said things. You know, like people much higher up in the UFC totem pole. She said basically saying that Dana White has set the culture in the UFC, and it's an, it is an abusive culture. It is in a culture that uh, that specifically targets women for their looks. And uh, I think it's a powerful statement. And on a factual grounds, you can't argue with her. Yeah, and uh, one of her points that she makes in that letter is that this is an example, like we need to be studying an example for the younger students of martial arts. Um, you know, martial arts was so much about respect and this and that, and it's kind of um, mixed martial arts isn't necessarily martial arts, mm-hmm. but it's become more theater. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not necessarily that's a bad thing. you got to sell fights and you got to sure. get people to buy pay-per-views. You need that to a certain sure. extent. But um, she does bring up a good point. Like we need to start setting an example for the younger martial arts students. And a lot of it, you know, this might not be the most popular thing to say is on fans to not rely on that kind of drama and those things to get generate their interest. Like they need to appreciate the sport for what it is. You know, Joe Flacco Flacco is boring, but if he's in the Super Bowl, like you're going to watch it. Right. You buy his jersey. No, that's true. And I think, you know, what's interesting too, Mike is like the type of stuff she's talking or it's been subjected to by Angela Magana, by Dana White. It's not even stuff that sells a fight. She's not going to fight Angela Magana. Dana White trashing one of his fighters is not selling pay-per-views. So it's a very, it's a particularly weird thing and a weird culture that she's remarking on because it's not even exploiting it. It's not even trash talking in a way that exploits it and makes someone, you know, seem better. I guess Ronda Rousey versus talking trash against Cy- Cyborg, that potentially could, right? Right. There's uh, a fight that could happen there. Yeah. That, or that, at one point in time. Yeah, right. Oh, that, that, that makes more sense. But, you know, I agree with you, uh, Mike. That, that's a, that was a, one of the more interesting parts that she was talking about. A lot of people might look and say hey you fought on the street and you're talking about honor and martial arts well i'll just speak subjectively i wrote about this um for a column earlier in the week uh, at flow combat as well and, and one of the things i basically said was 
it's a lot. So what Rod, what what's Chris Cyborg was upset about, it seems, was Angela Magana making fun of her, specifically at one point comparing her to some horror movie villain for her I looks. I think it's uh, from the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so comparing, there was a photo of Chris Cyborg, whose father is currently battling cancer. There's a photo of Chris Cyborg visiting a bunch of children who I believe were suffering from cancer at a hospital right now and, and brightening their day. They did like some superhero play and she was playing with them and smiling and the kids were smiling. Angela Magana chose to take one of those photos and of someone uh, uh, brightening the lives of uh, cancer or children with cancer and make fun of her looks. Uh, so Chris Cyborg didn't like that and said, you have to respect me. They confronted each other. She got mad and it's alleged that she, she then punched uh, Angela Magana. Uh, I personally, Mike, have a much easier time defending someone who punched a person who made fun of someone uh, playing with cancer kids, children with cancer. I have a much time, uh, def- uh, easier time defending a person who punches someone like that than defending uh, uh, Angela Magana saying, well, she shouldn't, she's not allowed to be punched. No, listen, you know, <laughs> you're a professional fighter, that's a professional fighter. You know, maybe don't be a complete horrible asshole to them uh, and then not expect they're going to be angry at you. I think there's worse things in the world than one-on-one unarmed combat between trained people, you know, personally, personally, you know. Now we have uh, Anna Hulatin calling in, boxing champion, making the transition to MMA in about eight minutes. So we got some, uh, few, you know, quick topics to run down. Uh, there's so much we, we're not even leaving on the cutting floor. Uh, <laughs> but let's kind of touch on some things really quickly. Brett Okamoto of ESPN announced on SportsCenter last night that Cody Garbrandt's Bantamweight title fight against TJ Dillashaw at UFC 213 is off and said that TJ Dillashaw, at least via Dana White, will get a shot at flyweight champion Demetrius Johnson. <laughs> Johnson came out and denied those reports on Twitter, saying he was angling for a fight with Ray Borg, and Dillashaw needs a, one, a win at 125 pounds before getting a title fight. Is Johnson right? Does Dillashaw need a fight at 125 pounds first? Dillashaw, listen, he's right to the extent that if that's what the champion is saying, then that's what's going to happen. I'm, you know, I'm sorry, but the, cha- you know, in, in other sports, boxing champions, uh, once they reach Demetrius Johnson's level or way before they even reach his level in terms of accomplishment, have a lot of say in terms of who they're fighting and when. But you know, broadly speaking. So could is is TJ Dillashaw a, a credible uh, title challenger at multiple weight classes? Sure, one hundred percent. If they made that fight, I'd love it. But it's out of turn not for TJ Dillashaw to ask for it because good for him for wanting to go from champion to champion. It's out of turn for Dana White to to say, well, we're going to make that fight happen without asking Demetrius Johnson. They, that's the way they do business. They've gotten Demetrius Johnson continually stands up for himself. They got in trouble with Demetrius the last time when they did that. They planned the whole series. The Ultimate Fighter said the winner's going to get a shot at Demetrius Johnson, never talking to the champion. Demetrius finds out about it to the media, and he's like, yeah, no, you need to talk to me about this first. Now, it's interesting because, like you said, this is a former Bantamweight champion dropping down 10 pounds, yeah. and he's a, a tough a fight. He's a tough fight, and there's no doubting that, but Johnson's next fight is for the record. Yeah. And it's like if you were fighting Ray Borg for the record or TJ Dillashaw, winning, beating TJ Dillashaw might be more meaningful, but I think you'd feel more comfortable fighting against Ray, Ray Borg. Borg, get yeah. that record, and then fight TJ Dillashaw, which brings me to my next question, which is one that I think is uh, maybe perhaps a smarter move. Mm. But should the UFC instead, if they want to do Johnson Dillashaw, mm. cr- and since Garbrandt's injured, create an interim 135-pound title and set DJ versus Dillashaw for that. The thing being that if Dillashaw were to beat 
Garbrandt or to beat um, Johnson for the flyweight belt. He becomes the second or fourth person. I'm sorry, the mm-hmm. fourth person to win a belt in two different weight classes. And not that he's unworthy of that, but maybe Demetrius Johnson's more worthy of that more. Mm-hmm. So if you create the interim title, then if Johnson were to beat Dillashaw, he becomes the first or the fourth to win a belt in two different weight classes and the second behind Conor McGregor to be a champion in two different weight classes simultaneously. It's a fascinating uh, idea for marketing, and it's one that is probably more fair to Demetrius Johnson. Uh, but it's uh, and it, his title defense record's not on the line exactly. Either. So I think that could be something that Demetrius Johnson would, would love to see. However, Mike, I think that was although that is exactly the route that the UFC is taking. I think it would be completely uh, devoid of any meaning. The title it's it's just ridiculous how many interim titles they're creating to go just months and then after a champion wins or defends their title last and then create an interim title, they're, they're stripping away the meaning of so many of their belts. Featherweight, it's happening, you know, it's happening in middleweight. So I don't want to see it. I think it's a much better uh, hypothetical solution for Demetrius Johnson, right? But uh, I, I definitely don't want to see it. I think that would be grossly unfair to, to Cody Garbrandt because it hasn't even been uh, a, a, a year. Frank Mir, they waited for years uh, around to see if he would be, be able to get healthy, uh, after his, his motorcycle accident, like over a decade ago, like George St. Pierre, they waited for over a year. Like you can't just, you can't, it's not fair to the champion, I think. Although it is a fascinating idea that would definitely work better for Demetrius Johnson. Yeah, for sure. So that brings me to my next question, which is going to be interim titles. Are they the new normal? And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they're, we've seen them a lot. We have a title unification about our UFC 212. Uh, we have a middleweight interim title belt com- or fight coming. Uh, interim title seem to come up we were supposed to have one for the lightweight division so they're prominent and uh regular so is this the new normal um do you think going forward i I think it is i think it is a new normal and i think that's sad i think interim title belts are like uh kellyanne conway's alternative facts and like all (laughs) so-called alternative facts they're lies uh you know conor mcgregor is the featherweight champion of the world conor mcgregor is the lightweight champion of the world like these we're already we already have trouble enough determining who's really the champion when you have horrible decisions like michael bisping being awarded a decision over dan henderson or dan henderson even being given a title shot at this point in his career to begin with it's already tough enough to determine who's the best in the division and these interim titles uh stacked one after the other in the case of uh featherweight again with Holloway and Aldo and it's just it, it, it it's it's sad it's sad because it, it really dilutes the meaning of it uh, the UFC worked really hard and bought a lot of other companies <laughs> and signed a lot of great fighters and did a lot of great matchmaking to earn the reputation as like hey our champions are the best in the world and they're they're giving that away now even though they don't have any real significant uh competition like they used to when they competed against pride they're giving that away by giving away top five free agents like Rory McDonald or Phil Davis, uh, Ryan Bader, and they're giving that deserved credibility away by doing so many interim titles. But yeah, certainly seems like the new norm. If the alternative is pressuring fighters to win or to fight sooner than they're ready, even yeah. though they might be sore, injured, right. whatever, isn't the interim title a good thing in that regard? Well, I think it's a false choice. But I- it also could help like it could also help clear up title pictures it never really does in my view unless it's been over a year and i think it's a false choice to choose between unfairly stripping effectively stripping uh fighters of titles which drastically um uh, influence their their earning potential and what they make uh choosing between that and forcing them to fight more frequently and, and possibly injured with less you know autonomy or agency in their own career when they're not even considered employees and they don't 
they're, they could be pressured year-long by the UFC to fight, but they d- don't get year-long health insurance. They don't have pension plans that they're even eligible for. Um, I, I, I think that's a false choice. I don't think we should choose between pressuring fighters to fight more often. The UFC already does it. The UFC will sign a fighter like a couple weeks after they were just knocked out uh, to fight again, and it's, it's really dangerous. So I wouldn't choose either. I think, I, think we need a, I think they need a union. I think they need to be considered employees. I think they need to have certain... Uh, you know, labor, uh, labor kind of regulations and standards in which, hey, maybe you, on the one side, you have to, if you're the champion, you have to defend at least once a year uh, to maintain your title. Otherwise, you will create an interim title or strip you. That's fine. But at the same token, you can't pressure me more than to fight or make me fight more than this time, many times a year. Or at every time you're negotiating a, a, a fight or a title challenge, I'm there negotiating and I'm, you know, I carry a certain type of power. So I think there's other choices that I prefer to see happen uh, rather than that. I wouldn't choose either or personally. Now we got a matter of a few seconds before we got to get Ana Hulaton on yeah, the phone. Whatever. But one last question, and then we will have tackled everything I had planned for us to <laughs> good topics talk you got before today, we, man. Yeah, uh, the other thing Brett Okamoto reported was that uh, Yoel Romero will fight Robert Whitaker for a interim middleweight what? title at UFC two hundred thirty three. But was that the right fight to make? I mean, it's a it's Close a to Masasi or uh, Luke Rockhold. It's a, it's a great one, and it's a right fight for the UFC to make because Whitaker is not talking crap about the UFC. Neither is Joel Romero, but uh, Musasi is, and he's and playing Rockhold about his, is. and Rockhold is. So, although they deserve it more, uh, I think than Robert Whitaker, who is pretty damn close to earning a title shot, in my view. Um, yeah, I think it's the right move for them. Uh, yeah, I think the, the fact that it's an interim title is is kind of wacky. Uh, but the whole division is wacky at this point. It's a great fight, and they're really both great fighters, and they 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 should certainly both be in the in the title picture. But is anyone going to care who wins the belt after that? Michael Bisping. Michael Bisping probably will. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And it's by extension, chance. Jason Perillo. That's true. Yeah, it's it's yeah our, our guy. Uh, you know, one of these days it's gonna. Michael Bisping not liking me and me saying these things about his career is going to affect my relationship with Perillo. So far, it hasn't. But uh, I respect Michael Bisping a whole lot, and I think he, he earned that title by being amazing and stepping up on short notice. But what's happened since then has been kind of crazy, and uh, I, I don't think he should be forced into a fight early. I actually, you know, I, he says he's dealing with a knee injury. I think it's illegitimate for them to make an interim title in defense of Michael Bisping. I will say that. I think that's, that's crazy. I, I think we should have to wait a year between defenses um but yeah maybe he doesn't want to fight Yoel Romero burying the hatchet him <laughs> yeah I'm sure I'm sure it won't in his mind it's a long story one day I'll tell you the story of of why supposedly Michael Bisping doesn't like me he's never told me directly but I've heard from others all right well in the meantime Elias is going to try and get uh Anna on the line there's uh, other things that have happened there's one interesting nugget that kind of came across today uh, that we'll talk about, or that we could have talked about, but ultimately uh, didn't meet the cut because we wanted to keep it UFC centric, and we talk about Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather all the time. But supposedly, <laughs> uh, a boxing promoter let it slip that the date for Floyd Mayweather Conor McGregor, if it were to happen, would be November. <laughs> Very interesting. I didn't actually hear that. We should. We might have time after we talk to Ano. I think we should talk about that. I'm curious. All right, she's, that's what we call a, a teaser. That's what we call a teaser. That's for right. after the call. <laughs> oh, that's loud. There we go. Hello? Anna, this is Elias. I'm here with my co-host Mike Dice on the X-Rounds podcast. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you, guys. Um, hello, Mike. 
Thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks for taking the time out to join us. Excited to have you on. Oh, I'm really excited. Uh, <laughs> JC was uh, yeah, getting excited. He got me all pumped up, so here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, we got a lot we want to chat with you about, um, but I- I'd be remiss uh, if we didn't just jump into what, something you did this week, which is uh, – try out for the ultimate fighter i i don't think i've actually told the listeners i don't think i told you this mike i actually tried out for the ultimate fighter one year uh myself it was a season that holding BJ, out on us yeah the season that uh, wow. bj penn and frankie edgar uh uh ended up coaching and it was I, I i'm not a professional i fight as an amateur um but i mostly did it for the experience right and to see what it was like so i'm curious what what was the decision making for you uh, like in deciding to, to do it and then we'd love to hear about what you did and, and what was involved in the day because this is going to be one of the, the coolest seasons of Ultimate Fighter uh, really ever anytime it has such big stakes like like this one it, it's, it's a particular interest <laughs> that was interesting because it all happened by chance you hmm. know I'll tell you what the lifestyle as a fighter now I'm, I'm getting prepared for a boxing match actually that's happening in uh, June 16th I'll be flying over to Mexico to do an 8 rounder with my uh, boxing promoter Alan Tremblay and I was at the gym late night, um, the day before the um, before the tryouts, and you know, I, it must have been close to midnight. I had just locked up the gym, and I ended up getting a call from JC, and he says, "Hey, Anna, you know, there's an opportunity. Um, they're having the TUF tryouts, and you know, we'd like for you to go." I'm like, "Okay, cool. You know, that that sounds interesting. It sounds like fun. And you know, it wasn't in my it, it wasn't in my peripherals or anything like that. I wasn't looking." <laughs> looking to get into something like that and uh and he goes yeah you know it's gonna start at 8 a.m i'm like what (laughs) 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 yeah so uh you know i get a couple of hours of sleep um, but i was able to you know wake up uh there was an application sheet that all you know every applicant had to fill out it was like crazy and uh you know i I was juggling between you know trying to rest up trying to hydrate get my breakfast in and filling that out and, you know, going through traffic on the Las Vegas freeway. And, you know, <laughs> sure enough, I ended up, ended up going to, to the spot, and uh, it was it was amazing. It's uh, quite an experience. It was actually empowering to see a lot of women, a lot of mm. females congregating within, you know, in the same roof, you know, for for one goal, and the goal being fighting. And, you know, um, I was, it, it, was, it was interesting because I know a lot of the women in there, they're sizing up their competition because they're all trying to, Aim for the uh, for the title, and you know there I am. I'm I'm sitting there like a spectator, like a fan. You know, <laughs> I'm like, wow, you know, this is so cool. This is so awesome. It's so different from boxing, and I was just trying to take in the moment, and 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 yeah, and uh, you know, off by chance, I ended up running into Dana White, and I got to talk to him for a little bit. It was it wow. was I don't know, it was out of this world. You know, you just <laughs> at the gym, you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're getting ready for a fight. You get you get a call. You go into something completely different, out of your realm. And you walk in there, you do a lot of work, and you meet someone like Shana White, you know, just off by chance, be around a lot of female fighters. It was just, it was out of this world. Now, Dana White's a big boxing fan, so did he know who you were, and what was that conversation like? Yeah, we, we got to chop it up a little bit. Uh, you know, I it, it was funny because there was a boxing convention that happened in Las Vegas uh, a couple years back, and I noticed he was looking at one of the boxing belts, and one of my friends... Uh, their company's called Sartonk. They're located in, in uh, Nevada. Oh, I'm sorry, in New York. And what they do is they they create the actual authentic world champion boxing belt. You know, mm-hmm. and it, and they date back when you know Muhammad Ali would compete and they would make belts for him and stuff like that. And, and I noticed Dana White 
was looking at it, they actually posted it, and then I ended up just, just talking to them through uh, social media at that time. And it was funny because we had some dialogue um, going back and forth, and through that, he ended up um, hooking me up and my friend Ronnie Turioff and, and my co-general Reyes with some tickets to watch the uh, Anderson Silva versus um, Nick Diaz fight oh, you know, cool. back in the day. So when, when I ended up the, the seeing him at the tryouts yes, um, yesterday, it was, you know, we were talking a little bit about that. So it was, you know, it was, it was pretty cool just to kind of have, you know, things just play out the way that they do. And, you know, you end up just making contact with people at the most rarest, you know, rarest time. So, <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm being a big fan right now. <laughs> fanning out, just fighting in martial arts. What did you, so, okay, so for people that don't know, like, what did you... What did you do? Did you did you hit pads? Did you grapple? Did you do both? Did you get to talk to any of the the, the show's producers? Like, uh, how did the day end up shaping out for you in other ways? Um, gosh, like I, I'm not quite sure how it turned out in terms of like, um, you know, saying what you know what goes on hmm. within the show. I had to fill out a whole bunch of contracts. Um, oh yeah, I mean, don't tell but, us like what what they may have told you, but I'm just curious, like, did because people may not know, like fans might think okay so you go there and you fight to the death and the winner gets on the show was it like that or <laughs> no, 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 no 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 they they they, they, they have like a trial period and, and you're right you, you know you, you showcase a little bit of your skills um um you get to talk to them just a little bit and uh, you know it, it just ended up being you know it was a pretty fun experience so that's cool um again i'm not sure how far into the extent of how how i can you know no no that's good I mean, yeah wanna, for, for people don't that don't yeah, for people who don't know, so when you sign, even when you're trying out for the uh, for for a top, uh, the UFC and then the, the networks they work with, they're very very se- serious about about keeping uh, any results or happenings under wraps. You know, you absolutely could get sued. So yeah, we're not looking for those results. That's why it's a, it's a serious deal when when people are going through their camps even after the the shows and you know season is taped and someone's uh, you know training for the finale. You know, no one knows. They really keep those. They really work hard to keep those things on, on, under wraps, just so fans have a sense of of of, of why you you being secretive. Because you have to. You definitely have to be secretive about that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I wish I wish I knew what I can say. No, it. don't worry I, about it's it. It's all new. Everything just happened. It was like literally everything's all a blur. I'm still trying to digest <laughs> everything. But it's really cool to so, hear, though, that just to hear what the day was like, how you ended up doing it, and that you got to speak with the company's president. That alone, right there, is is pretty cool news. Is yeah, it's uh, I I definitely didn't have that in my daybook planner. So, <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel you uh, sized up? You know, you said you said everybody's kind of sizing each other up. How do you feel you uh, fit in with the pack? Uh, you know, if you were to ask me that question a couple years back. I would have been like, ah, oh, you know, I feel this, I feel that, honestly, and I've, I've taken it like, like a grain of salt. I just walked in there and I looked at everyone who came in and I'm like, wow, you know, this is really cool. And I, and cause at the end of the day, I felt like, man, I'm just going in here, in here for me. I'm just taking a chance. Uh, I just want to see what this is about and, you know, just kind of live the whole thing. Like I wasn't trying to stress out and try to give all that extra pressure that fighters tend to give themselves whenever an opportunity like that were to open up. I was just like, hey, man, that's cool. Hey, there's that person. Oh, there's, that, there's this other person. Oh, I've seen this person play, you know. So I was, I was taking it, uh, you know, just, just just how it is for the moment because I knew that whatever I had to do, you know, I was I was game. Like, I'm, I'm getting ready for a fight. I've been training for, for a while consistently. 
and you know whatever may come you know because in the back of my head i'm like yeah i, I got i got my hands to come in if, if one of you guys want to throw a punch at me be ready you know <laughs> and, 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 and it's but I don't, I don't need to flex that aspect mm-hmm. of myself unless I need to, you know, unless it's just right there in, mm-hmm. a, in a fraction of a second. So, so it, it's pretty cool to be able to, um, to step away from, you know, a lot of the pressures I'm sure a lot of these other girls are, are having because right there I'm, I was just feeling empowered. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, where were you guys 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and it's nice to see something like this actually happening and you having opportunities open up. Because uh, I tell you what, um, one of my training partners is Fragmina's daughter, um, Isabella Mir. And I'll tell you, this, this girl is a truck. She's 13 years old. She's bigger than me, five foot seven, 135 pounds, 100% pure muscle. Wow. So she'll walk around, like, you know, with, with her back straight and everything. She, she's like a phenomenal athlete when she walks around. She opens her mouth, though. She sounds like a little kid. It's so cute. <laughs> she's so sweet. You know, I'll, I'll see her at the house. Yeah, she'll have her Justin Bieber shirt on. You know, she'll, she'll be out with girlfriends, uh, you know, like with her uh, baseball team players and, uh, I mean, her softball teammates. And it's 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 an interesting sight. Wow. Does, does, uh, is, does Isabella want to fight, like, when she gets older? Is that in her plans right now? Um. Well, uh, what I know right now is she's cross-training. She mm-hmm. just, I think she just got her either her green belt or her brown belt in jujitsu. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but I know she's like her dad's just making her and her mom's having her just stay steady with that. But she would jump in sometimes with me and, and Angela and we'll start showing her some of the martial arts, some of the kicking and stuff. And then what's fun is, you know, like with, with me, I get to just ask her questions about grappling and we get to do some stuff. And then it's, it's like a whole, you know, martial arts playground. You know? it's, it's a blast. You know, I mean, it's don't get me wrong. It's still a lot of work because, yeah. uh, because I, I mean, I know you guys practice, and you you understand like how much contact has to be made, and you know, you, if you if you like understand that aspect of it, and and look besides all of that, it's it's tons of fun. It's such a colorful world. You know, it's I wouldn't trade anything just just to have this this type of lifestyle. You know. I saw an, uh, an interview you did, I think, at the Tough Tryouts this week on a, with the USA Today, and you talked about the old saying about you know boxing choosing you and not instead of you choosing boxing and you, talking about fighting choosing you or martial arts choosing you. How did you start training? What did get you interested in it in martial arts, and, and when did you first uh, actually start training? Because, again, for, for those – that may be uh, just strict MMA fans who are newer to you. You know, you've 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 fought now. I think what four or five four or five times in MMA. You tried out for the Ultimate Fighter, but you're a world championship level boxer. You've trained for for years and years and years. Like, what what was the moment that that where you feel like fighting started to choose you? Yeah, that's that's such a great question. Um, I I think it's just from like one of my first memories is watching a Bruce Lee movie, hmm. right? So, and uh, it was Chinese Connection, and I remember just, you know, the part where Bruce Lee will whip out his nunchucks, he's at a karate dojo, and he's <laughs> trying to, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I won't, I won't, you know, script out the movie and stuff, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, just, just seeing that and just seeing an image of him where at the time there wasn't a lot of, um, like, like, the media wasn't as diverse as it is now, um, I, I connected with that a lot, um, looking at someone who has the um, same skin color as I do, um, and he's out there with a purpose. He 
in in that in that movie, one of the biggest themes was him representing exactly who he was in a in a place where they wanted him to, where they wanted to, uh, you know, basically just just take control of his life and his whole country's lifestyle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, and 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 for me, and and, and it, it's funny because that scene or that movie, it'll come in, you know, from time to time. Um, as I go through training, because uh, it's 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 like being a woman fighter in a male-dominated sport, and being a woman, no less. Uh, it's, you're, I'm always having to face a lot of the social norms. Mm. You know, um, um, I'm Filipino, and the <laughs> the the stereotype for um, Filipino women is they grow up and they're destined to be a nurse, or they they're they're destined to do beauty pageants or something like that, right? And so. Mm. Um, when, when I when I got into martial arts and I started it when I was ten, I I, I got into taekwondo. I did Olympic style. Um, I received my black belt and I learned under uh, Debbie Peterson and Yvonne Colonel. And just a side note, uh, Debbie Peterson, um, she is the head coach of our first Olympic taekwondo gold medalist mm. uh, for Dana He. So Dana He received the gold medal back in 1988. For Taekwondo, back when um, Taekwondo was still a spectator sport, but imagine having an American winning in Korean soil yeah. for their national sport. Yeah, so wow. so I, like at like at that time I was uh, surrounded. And I, I like I didn't know any better back then. You know, I was surrounded by a lot of just high class, world class, you know, female world champions like on on the mat, and we're understanding this the style, the style, the art of Taekwondo, Olympic style, and I was learning a lot of the techniques. Which and and interesting enough with MMA that's playing out right now, uh, like I see a lot of like like I see a lot of holes in terms of the kicking aspect because mm. I'm like man you know if you had the art of Taekwondo you should be able to read the lineups the like the open stance versus close stance like that's a huge thing and there's so many opportunities now. Granted, it takes a lot of work to have a kick um, you know come out consecutively sure. in in a given round. Um, but I mean that's 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 just the whole thing about it, you know. And I and I feel like, man, you know, there's an opportunity. I got to put myself in that position where I want to train it to where my my kicks are gonna come out with my jab. It has to be that easy. It has to be that prime, you know. And um, and yeah, just through the martial arts, it just ventured out into like a plethora of different stuff. Like I ended up going into um, temple karate, and that's where I met my current boxing coach, Angelo Reyes. Uh, he he was like the assistant chief instructor at that time. And, uh, and I used to, and it's funny because like he coaches me right now. He's the guy who introduced me to Freddie Roach and got me uh, hooked up with, um, Roger Mayweather and having him help me out for one of my camps for a fight. And, and, and it's, it's just amazing at how through his martial arts eye, he was able to kind of direct me into a place where I feel like I can really immerse myself into learning these different arts from these high caliber coaches and fighters like uh, you know just working alongside with uh, Manny Pacquiao um, watching Mayweather do his camps uh, day in and day out and try to see how they evolve as, as the camps will go on and uh, you know I, I really felt he really made me he got me to feel like a martial arts student as I go into the different combat sports if that makes any sense yeah. and uh, it's, it, it's it's pretty I don't know I, I feel I feel really lucky I feel really blessed uh, because again you know, as 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 a Filipina going into something like this, uh, I mean, this is something that I, I I definitely had to fight for. You know what I mean? Uh, there's so many so many people like my 
have relatives, I have friends, I have people who I don't even know that would just come up to me and ask me, why am I doing this? And, uh, and just, just kind of question, you know, my, the thing that makes me happy, you know, and, it, and, and it's, it's, it's such a fight everywhere. But, uh, but I don't know, it's the thing that fuels me to be so pumped up every day, you know, and it, it brings out that passion. So I know I went on a rant, so hopefully I answered that question That's for right. you. That was I awesome. Got, I, got a, I got a million things running. That was beautiful, right man. No, I loved it. You mentioned uh, Taekwondo and the kicks and that stuff. You know, Yuana Champion gets praised for her striking abilities, and she's, uh, you know, considered maybe the most dangerous female fighter in the UFC. What is your read on her striking as a prolific striker yourself? For, for who's striking? I'm sorry, I didn't catch that part. Yuana? Yuana didn't Oh, check. for her. Yeah. Oh, no, she, she puts in the work. She's legit. I mean, the activity alone for her to uh, throw out kicks to the legs, you know, because to me, if I were to put on my boxing eyes, that would be equivalent to always sticking back to that jab. You know, and that takes a lot of effort. Um, and and she, she times it well to where she closes the, the distance, always picking at people's legs with her, with her low shuffle kicks. Um, and then she mixes it up with her hands. So in terms of, like, her style, I think she understands it where she can just rely on those core weapons um, and just be successful at it. You know what I mean? Um, for if, if I were to watch or put on my boxing goggles and review Joanna's last fight against um, Andrade, uh, Jessica Andrade, I mean, it, it, it looked like a boxer trying to fight a brawler, mm. you know, just keeping them, keeping them at, um, keeping your opponent at bay, using the jabs, and in this case, Joanna's case, is using her long, her rangy strikes, her long kicks, and her long straight punches, you know, within a 25-minute period, you know, and uh, uh, it's, it's very similar to a Muhammad Ali versus um, um, George Foreman, uh, uh, style matchup, you know, and uh, yeah, she she she's legit. Um, it, it's it's interesting because in this day and age, since the um, exposure and the uh, stage is so high and it's open for women nowadays, that you're going to need a little bit more than just being in shape and to get into mm. the cage. Um, you're you're going to have to have a um, some experience, and you're going to be you ha- you're going to have to be smarter in terms of like how you practice every day. So if you're if you're in the gym and you're getting all pumped up and and satisfied with just putting into reps and knowing that you're sweating and you're getting tired, but there isn't a goal behind that, um, then you just may end up being the one percent that's behind from the elite. If that makes mm. any sense. Um, so it's uh, so yeah, um, um, Yuana is a she's a force to be reckoned with, and uh, if if you're gonna have a lot more females gonna enter into UFC into the cage and get an opportunity to fight against her. I mean, a lot of people are really going to try and figure her out, you know? Now, you mentioned um, your stand-up background, which is clearly extensive, but, you know, you've been learning grappling from Frank Mir. What is it like learning grappling from someone who's so much bigger than you? He's over six foot tall, <laughs> 265 pounds. Yeah, was, um, man, I've what I've noticed in MMA as a striker coming from the outside going into the sport is the dialogue and the culture. If I were to talk to a jiu-jitsu person, their ideals and their goals are different than of, of a boxer. And, and, and so sometimes there's things um, that don't get translated well enough um, because they have different viewpoints. So when I talked to Frank, the common denominator between him and our current coach, Angelo, is that we all have a black belt in Kempo Karate. So with that said, there are certain ideals and certain fundamentals 
that we all can share and it becomes like a language and Frank was, is able to trans, translate it from the Kempo Karate language into the Jiu-Jitsu language into something where I can understand. And it helps a lot more too as he understands a little bit more of how we do our boxing because that's a different language altogether. When, and when I say language, again, it's loaded with, you know, there's certain ideal points, there's certain goals, there's certain strategy behind the arts. So it's, 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 it's interesting whenever Frank says something because he'll go over a, a certain chokehold or a submission, a certain sweep, you know, a certain uh, situation. And then sometimes if I don't get it, he'll revert back to his Kempo Karate roots He'll pull out a technique, and he says, yeah, it's just like this. And mm. I'm like, oh, snap. I'm like, wow, <laughs> I totally get it. And then from there, luckily, he has a daughter who's closer to my <laughs> I can rep it out, and it becomes more like a boxing format where you have that one-on-one, and you get that attention, and you get that rep, you get that work in. Um, and, and again, you know, it's 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 such a, a juggling act because there's so many things that need to get involved and the things have to go right on a daily basis in order to make that training day effective through a camp. Huh. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's, it's, there's so many layers to it. Um, uh, like, I, like I, I don't know, I, I guess, you know, after this point in my life, you know, if I were to go a couple of years down the line, maybe I can simplify it a little more. But right now I'm thinking, man, you know, there's a lot of things that need to go right in order for something to go right. Because um, you, you just you just got to maintain the consistency of it. You know what I mean? So with Frank, I think I think that's one of the, the, the biggest things that I'm able to pull out from him is just communicating. Like in teaching, you can tell someone what to do. Like you, you can tell a dog to sit. You can tell a dog to bark. But if you want to explain something, like if you want to explain a baby how to speak the language of, or, or, or just teach them the, the alphabet, it takes a little bit more than just telling them. You know what I mean? So that it's, it's a fine line of barking instructions at someone or actually taking the time to have someone fully understand and immerse themselves into this idea and have it become a part of them and then moving on from there. So, And I feel like, man, that's... That's the magic that needs to be found in MMA or anyone aspiring to be in MMA, at least for me, where, like, I, I would hate to go into a gym where there's, or I'm in a group setting, there's a certain instruction that, get, that gets um, told, and there's a lot of details that go along with it, and then I'll try and, and do the move, and I'll probably get 50% of it, not fully understanding the whole capacity of it. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying that anyone can master anything in one day, but what I'm saying is it compiles on because mm. if you can review it again the next day and if you're only getting 50% of that, you know, how you're missing the whole boat. It's like going into a boxing room on a title fight and if you're up against someone like Floyd Mayweather and if you don't understand the fundamentals of the jab, like the reason behind where you don't have want to have any telegraph as you um, have your, 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 your jabbing hand, um, leave your face as you extend out to your target and not pulling it all the way back or having, you know, all these different things, you know, as a part of your weaponry, then you're going to be lost. You're going to get figured out. Um, you might have a lot of success, but one day someone's going to figure it out. And then all of a sudden, everything that you built, it all just crumbles hmm. and you just don't know why. You know what I mean? So it's, it, it, and it reminds me of that quote Bruce Lee would always say, where he says, you know, with the martial arts, it can be a sea of just, of just nothingness where it's just a whole bunch of just repetitive stuff that people do not fully understanding the capacity of it because 
it's, it's hard to really understand the mastery of it. You know what I mean? But you have to surround yourself with the type of people who can teach you what you're trying to look for. Or, or, or um, but yeah, I, I can go on with it, man. You're getting <laughs> me so pumped up. I'm sweating over this. This is awesome. It's profound but stuff. This is, this is, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, yeah, that's profound stuff. It really is. I don't want to get you more hyped up, but I wanted to revisit your world title fight with uh, when you had Freddie Roach in your corner and you had taken a lot of uh, damage to your left eye, I think it was. It's swollen <laughs> up. And yeah. uh, your opponent illegally threw a punch after the bell, if I remember correctly, and you pretty much won that fight with the jab, which you were just talking about so eloquently. Uh, what was Freddie Roach telling you in the corner in between rounds as that fight was going on? Um. Oh man, so you, you gotta imagine, you know, coming back from a round like that, seeing your corner, um, and everything is just heightened, and you know, your sense of awareness is is just amplified by 100. percent And you have to figure out what you're gonna listen to or what you're gonna focus on within those 60 seconds, right? Is it the crowd? Is it the judges that's looking at you? Is it the referee? Is it your opponent? You have all these different coaches right 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 around you, and you know they're getting pumped up. Some of them will give you energy that you probably don't need or some of them will and you want to make sure you catch you catch it as that's happening so right at that moment like i already knew i had to tell myself let let it be quiet sit down take a deep breath forget what just happened and it, and it's such a discipline that you know what i mean and i feel like the martial arts really helped me out with just understanding that aspect for me to have me understand that for myself and i remember freddie he he, he was telling angelo he was like because when the round was going, like, I, I didn't hear it at the time, but I went out and watched the tape. You tell Angela, yeah, tell her to use a jab, tell her to use a jab. And then I go into the corner. Freddie go, looks at me and he says, Anna, nothing but the jab. And it's funny because I'm having dialogue in my head. I'm like, are you crazy? You just want me to use a jab? <laughs> and, and, then, um, and as the rounds would go on, he would say the same thing over and over again because I was getting pumped up. You know, I was getting angry. I was getting really emotional. And Freddie just kept saying the same thing over and over again. I'm, and I'm thinking in my head, man, she's figuring it out. Like, and I'm like, I'm like, I have to be really creative, you know. And and that's and luckily that popped in my head at that time. So it really teach, taught me a lot of how to use the jab in a hundred different ways. Because yeah, there's a single jab, the triple jab, the quadruple jab. There's a jab, then you pause, you jab, fake, jab, uh, fake, double jab. Jab up top, jab down bottom, jab down down bottom to to the chest to the head. Um, you move to the left jab, you move to the right jab, and you have to find these different rhythm points in order for you to make the same punch look different. And that's what I caught out most from that fight. And I'm like, good lord, why couldn't I even learn this in the gym? I had to learn it in a live title fight that's being featured on TSN in Canada, which a lot of female fighters don't get the opportunity to do. And, I, and with my eye blown up, trying to see out of it, this girl's trying to kill me. I have Freddie Roach. So there's a lot of, it, it was chaotic, you know, and and it's, and you have to find peace right at that moment. And I'm like, damn, did I just say this? Like, I, I'm thinking if I were, if you were to ask me this like two years ago, I probably wouldn't be able to articulate it. But man, I, it's, it's, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, lot of stuff that happens. That's amazing. But, uh, and. Like yeah, I hope it's making sense, you guys. Definitely but, is. Um, that's 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 phenomenal, and it's you know it's all such a hard thing. It's such an impossible thing to like to to convey uh, the moment of any moment of of being an actual any type of battle. But you're doing a pretty damn good job of it. It, it really is a vivid color. You got you got to get into into writing if you're not already on it. Yeah, you put down on writing. We could 
I feel like I was there. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> and not watching through the TV. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, hard. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you got to be super patient to ride. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I can get some lessons from you guys or something like that. I think that. The, ja- the jab is harder The jab is harder than riding. You know, get the trans- like one of those apps that transcribes as you talk. Yeah, You'll be true. set, you know, then just clean it up a little bit. You'll be good to go. That's right. Oh, that's awesome stuff. Well, I feel, I feel like we're, we're, we're just about out of time now, but I feel like uh, we... We could, we definitely want to have you on again because there's so many. We we have questions on our page right now that we haven't gotten to ask you on it. Like you thought you were going oh. on and on. We have much more Sorry, we want to ask you. So we gotta we gotta have you on again. But before we let you go, like tell tell folks where they can find you online and and remind everyone where where and when your next fight is, please. Uh, sure, and you can go on social media, Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook. Plug in my name. Um, Anna Hulaton, A-N-A-J-U-L-A-T-O-N. As long as you can spell it correctly, uh, you should be able to find me. I'm not that fun, hard to find. Uh, but, yeah, uh, thank you, guys. Thank you so much for the time and for the support. I really appreciate this. And, and for those of you wanting to watch, you can see Anna Hulaton fighting at 1FC right now. Uh, you have four fights, I think, under the banner. Well, this is very much up in the air. That's the thing. She just tried out for the Ultimate Fighter. Right. So, yeah, I think... But I, she could I, relive some of the fights. That's, oh, that's true. I'm sorry. Yeah, you can, say, you can check out some of her badass fights from 1FC. We don't know where she's going to fight next in MMA, right, Anna? <laughs> but but we do know where, you do know where you're fighting in boxing next, right? Yes, um, it's it's going to be in Mexico, June 16. Uh, you know, it's, it's nice to get to activity, and you know, it just may end up opening up into something bigger where you can um, possibly catch it on something like a Showtime or something like that. So, Sweet. You know, um, just, yeah, just city at work and just trying to you know just stay positive and whatever opportunities happen because it just may happen last minute. Like you'll get a midnight <laughs> call, and uh, you know things will just play out. Well, thank you again for taking the time out to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Best of luck to you in your fight. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Take care, Anna. All right. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Wow. What a what a great inspirational fighter. Yeah, that was that was really cool. She uh she's done so much. She's so uh she's so interested and so invested in the martial arts. Yeah, we we it was it was a real pleasure to to hear from I her. I didn't realize her background in uh in MMA was so extensive. Well, not necessarily MMA, but just martial arts in general. Yeah, no, I, I didn't know that she had started in Taekwondo. I had no idea. I, I had mean, no idea that she had spent she had so a, many years there. She said she has a black belt uh, in, was it Taekwondo? She said she had a black belt? Probably that. Or Kempo she karate. Kempo. I imagine she got Maybe one it was Kempo, too, yeah. Kempo because uh, she was using that in the Frank Mir yeah. uh, portion. But, I mean, wow. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see her you know, make the transition and get you know further along in her MMA career. She's definitely a prolific boxer and can strike with anyone yeah. probably better than most I, I would imagine MMA. so i would imagine so yeah it's such a crazy thing i mean I, it's i think it's um, it's awesome that she's even been been dabbling in mma um we didn't get a chance to ask her but, you know but word on the street i know that we were, we were getting here on the show was that she's been putting in more time towards mma training which hey that's a freaking challenge if you've got a boxing match coming up you've got to focus on boxing you know so it's it's a challenge it's got to be a challenge going back and forth between the two that's yeah. what i'm saying that's got to be a crazy challenge for someone like her that loves all martial arts and wants to learn all of them and is competing in all sorts of rules it's a hard thing to and do the path to coming in and being successful has been blazed holly holm yeah. you know was a prolific boxer before yeah. coming into mma and uh, she can follow in those footsteps you yeah. know one of the reasons this was one of the questions that i wanted to ask that we didn't get to 
it was on the cutting room floor that Holly Holmes said she made the switch because uh, it's just more financially lucrative yeah, really in women's MMA too. than women's boxing. And I was going to ask her if that was a deciding factor. She obviously mentioned a, a bunch of other factors of why she wanted to make the switch. But, I mean, the common sense would say it, it is. And, uh, you know, I think that's an interesting thing when you have athletes like Anna Hulaton coming, you know, going further in the sport, maybe women's boxing won't get as much mm. attention from female athletes growing up because there's more yeah. – of a future in, in MMA. MMA. No, I think that's a real like and as much criticism as women's MMA's gotten or the UFC's handling of women's MMA, like that says a lot too. It's it's yeah, and they deserve a lot of the criticism. Uh but in the last four years, it's already moved women's MMA way further than women's boxing in terms of the opportunities there. There you know, it it really is just a whole nother a whole nother uh world away like she said someone even a world championship if it's a, if a women's boxing fight for that to be a, a main event anywhere is really really rare and it's not that rare anymore in the ufc so, no no ufc 200 you know was supposed to be the biggest event in history was headlined no. by uh, uh, a female women's bantam no. title fight and then there was the card ufc 193 mm. in australia that was rousey no. And Joanna and the two co-mates. Yeah. Um, and headlined. it looks like UFC 213 is going to be headlined yeah. by another female fight, which is that means that July Temple event two years in a row is headlined by a That's female right. uh, a female fight, which is a big deal. Yeah. Like a lot of people don't necessarily realize that that July card is kind of more important than the other ones. Not necessarily to fighters or anything but you know in the ufc's eyes it anchors international fight week and that uh, makes it a big deal to fighters they talk to a lot of fighters in the recent weeks where they're like i'd love to get in on that week because it is international fight week's a big yeah, deal and vegas two or three is cards. always fun it is and, and that same so ufc 200 earlier in that week wasn't it that joanna headlined a card as well it was a fight pass uh, last year last year she had i think it was something. three nights there yeah. was the ufc versus um Eddie Alvarez, I think, defeated Rafael Dos Anjos yeah. for the belt, and one of the two leading fights. Joanna was the headline yeah, of the other one, and she might have, which was I think maybe the ultimate fighter for now. It might have been or something like that. But she definitely headlined one, and then Misha Tate and Nunes headlined yeah. another one. So yeah, um, it's, it's a lot of opportunities. There's new divisions opening up. So and uh, for the new divisions, a lot of that credit goes to Invicto, which kind of yes. kept a home alive for some of those women in flyweight and featherweight division when the UFC yep. wasn't all things strawweight. Uh, still to this day, atom weight. Where yes. there's a lot of great fighters, Adam um, needs to come. So. You know that's the next, uh, you know, chapter in women's MMA, perhaps uh, yeah. the next division. But you know, now the UFC opened the featherweight division. They're about to open up the flyweight division, and a lot of credit to goes to Bellator too. They, yeah, they saw an opportunity with the UFC lacking those divisions and went after fighters in that division. The UFC was kind of forced to open those divisions up unless they wanted to fall behind. I think you're very right. I think that I so think Bellator that's a big deserves issue. They do. Too. They, they do. won't in maybe the record books yeah. because it'll be like the UFC opened the flyweight division and. They might have a flyweight title champion first or whatnot, but right. but Bellator pushed a lot of that forward. They did, and they years ago they had really great women fighting before they gave it up for a time. I'm glad that Bellator decided to to pick women's divisions back up. So yeah, I think they, well, we gotta have we gotta see if we can get Anna in again this summer after she fights, and we'll ask her questions like that, and she'll have a good a good perspective, right? At that point, she may know she'll definitely know in the summer what's happening with Tough. She would have fought again in boxing. She'll have a real good ability to compare. Right. Uh, UFC. She's going back and forth between the two. That's that's, a, that's amazing. Now that's amazing. 
Are you will you be in International Fight Week with Flow Combat? I don't think so. I haven't. We haven't solidified the plans, but I I haven't been assigned it yet, so I don't know that I'll it's be there partying with you. Yeah, it's still possible we can do. It. We probably have. A, I don't party for a few weeks. We party at buffets, man. I I, I, I do party at buffets. <laughs> that's how we do it. Uh, so no, I'd love to go, but as of now, I'm not going. So we'll see if that changes. I'd I'd love going though. I've been to a, I've been to a couple of them. It's it's always a it's always a a, a real fun sleepless week. Yes. There's a uh, lot of work. All fight weeks are sleepless weeks. Yeah, you have yeah. three events or two events in one. It just gets crazy. But she's based in Vegas. That would yeah, be a cool Yeah, I know. We got, got it. Are you going to go? Uh, I believe so, and take yeah, the you, show on the road. Yeah, that would be really cool. Um, that would be really cool. Even if it, even if it's only you that gets to go. If it's so, it's, That's the thing, is though. It's, you're going to be so busy. I would say, yeah, we got to go visit. Like Angela Reyes, every time I've gone to Vegas, her coach, uh, Anna's coach, has said, yeah, you got to stop by. Oh, I would freaking love to. I just got to do it when it's not fight week because fight week is really hard. And that's the only time I'm ever else. in Vegas. I know. So it so, sucks. It's uh, it, it gets crazy. Uh, I was actually hitting him up because I know he had done some work with Jessica Andrade. And I was like, are you in Dallas? And he, he wasn't. Yeah. And I was like, ah, this would, that would have been the time. Anyways, been the time. we're getting off track. <laughs> uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Anna Houlton. She's uh, you know, a great fighter, great person, a prolific boxer, two-time world champion in boxing two different so. belts weight classes groups and uh she's you know been making the transition to mma she has a couple fights on one fc i believe you can go to one fc's website and watch those yeah. fights if you want if yeah, sorry i interrupted your promo last time about that oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that it's all good all right thank you um and you know make sure to check that out you can follow her on twitter anna hulton if you go to either one of our twitter accounts you can find her uh tweet or her handle it was also displayed on the screen and thank you for tuning in every wednesday we do the show 3 p.m eastern to central on the sports illustrated mma facebook page um after it ends live we upload the video to youtube you can find it there youtube.com slash fansided blogs or you can find it on itunes uh, if you search extra rounds podcast it's on Google Play, it's on Stitcher, it's on TuneIn, Blog Talk Radio, um, anywhere you can listen to a podcast. The podcast is there, so please make sure to subscribe and review. And uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We will see you next week. Bye.